0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: A Happy Thursday, everybody. You're watching Squatbox with Arabile Gamedi and myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. The Federal Reserve hikes interest rates to their highest level in 22 years. But the chair of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, stays open-minded on whether to hike or pause at the next meeting.
2: I would say it is certainly possible that we would raise funds again at the September meeting. if a data warranted. And I would also say it's possible that we would choose to hold steady at that meeting. We're going to be making careful assessments, as I said, meeting by meeting.
1: Well, the ECB is the next central bank in focus, with President Christine Lagarde expected to unveil a. 25 basis point hike. That is the ninth in a row, as inflation remains stubbornly above 5%. We're gonna bring you coverage of that decision. Germana Boseche, 2 p.m. Central European time. Airbus topping second quarter profit targets and confirming its full year outlook whilst adjusting a key output goal. This as the CEO, Guillaume Faure
3: tells CNBC. Supply chains do remain a concern. We don't see yet an environment that I would consider getting significantly better. That's still a complex environment. Meta shares rise in extended
1: trade up 6.8% this after the social media giant beats on both the top and the bottom line, offering better than expected guidance for the third quarter amid a rebound in digital advertising. And one more corporate for you. BNP Paribas posting in more than 16% rise in second quarter net income. This amid solid organic growth. The CFO Lars Machinelle telling CNBC he's optimistic that price pressures will come down.
4: That inflation target and the road to get there might be a bit longer, yeah? But let's not forget, even a slower train is getting to the end station.
1: It's one of those days that you long for as a news anchor because it is coming at you left, right and centre. And I'll tell you what, with the dozen C-suite guests we've got today, you will, I guarantee, know more about the business world than you knew before this show started. I promise you that. Uh, The Federal Reserve has resumed its tightening cycle whilst hinting at more hikes to come. The FOMC lifted its overnight funds rate to 525 to 5.5%. It is the highest level in 22 years. The CME Fed Funds tool is now pricing in just, just a 22% chance of a hike in September and a 38% likelihood of a November hike. Well, speaking at the press conference post announcement, Mr. Powell had explained when the Fed might be comfortable in cutting rates.
2: We'd be comfortable cutting rates when we're comfortable cutting rates. And that won't be this year, I don't think. It would be, you know, many people wrote down rate cuts for next year. I think the median was several for next year. And that's just going to be a judgment that we have to make then a full year from now. And it'll be about how confident we are that inflation is, in fact, coming down to our 2 percent
1: goal. Got it. Let's get out to Arabic. Arabi, I was pretty confident the market knew what it was going to get from the Federal Reserve this time. And from the price action, it appears so. Good morning, Yeah, it certainly
0: does appear so, right? It's a fairly mixed session that we pretty much got out of the United States. The Dow Jones perhaps running uh, on its own accord as well, with earnings certainly the key picture. And it is the, one, the important one to note. There's the only green here, up a quarter of a percent then in yesterday's trade, because it is the 13th session in a row consecutively that the Dow Jones has gone up. That's the first time it's done this since 19. 19- 1887, that's actually before I was even born. And if it does it for a 14th day, just mash those numbers up. 1897, that would be the last time it's hit a 14 straight session gain in a row so mixed choppy session uh, across the trading day but the market is up actually on the week particularly when one takes a look at the dow jones very quickly let's get in to the treasuries then well yesterday they fell off actually p- post that decision by the fed then in particular when one takes a look even uh, just at the uh, two-year yield which typically reflects interest rate expectations there. That fell seven basis points overnight then, and now sits at 4.83. Even the 10-year then, even slipping six basis points itself as well overnight, sitting at 3.859 there. Dollar crosses very quickly. Well, there has been weakness uh, in the dollar of late as well, edging low against major currencies. In fact, the dollar index itself is down around a third of a percent. So some weakness that we're seeing across the dollar there after the Fed hike.
1: Super duper. Let's get to Jeff Henriksen, who is CEO and founder of Thorpe Abbott's Capital. Jeff, really good to see. Is there a trap being laid here for those bears who have left their money on the sidelines for so long, who've hated this rally, uh, as you were pointing out in your notes as well? A trap for them because actually they're thinking, oh, things are really benign. I need to get on board this momentum rally right at possibly the wrong point. What do you think, sir?
2: Well, you read my note. Yeah, that's that's why well, I, I wouldn't say it's a trap. I think uh, the way that we look at it. I think a lot of bears have been very wrong, uh, this year and, uh, they continue to be wrong. They continue to be underinvested. And so the way we look at it, there's a lot of money that is, as I said today to my, uh, to the guys I work with, there are a lot of folks that are going to have to do a lot of buying if they want to keep up with their benchmarks. And so I think a lot of that buying still has to happen. So, um, you know, we're, we're in the bullish camp and, and I think as the, uh, the soft landing narrative, the probability of that kind of grows. Uh, you're going to see more folks have to buy. And I think that uh, sets up well for the back half of the year.
1: Well, The good news is they never make benchmark anyway. Um, certainly the, uh, the <laughs> most fund managers. So they'll just be performing to <laughs> type, won't they, Jeff? Let's be brutally honest about it. But in terms of this Absolutely. trap, let's go into it in a little bit more detail. Because you're pointing out something that I've, I feel quite passionately about, and that is the amount of debt that needs to be rolled over at some of the highest mm-hmm. funding levels we've seen in years, not only in the corporate world, but also in government world as well. Surely that creates enormous problem at some stage.
2: Well, so there's one way to look at it, which is it can create problems. I, you know, I kind of take a different view, and the different view is that um, central banks. and Since we're talking about the Fed, I'll stick there. They know this, and they're going to have to, um, you know, by hook or by crook, keep their balance sheet at a level that will satiate uh, the liquidity, you know, necessary uh, for all that refinancing. And so, you know, I think that sets up really well for risk assets. I mean, I know there are a lot of Macroeconomic mavens that are looking at 50 years of history and trying to apply it to this environment, and they're confused as to why markets are doing what they're doing. And I think this is just such a radically different environment, both because of the pandemic, but just because where central banks' balance sheets are kind of vis-a-vis this massive refinancing need that that exists. And so, I think that actually, in a in a weird way, if you look at it, is a a bullish thing if you think that the central banks are going to do. What they need to do and ensure that, uh, that liquidity uh, remains adequate.
1: Oh, I like your new acronym, MEMs, Macroeconomic Mavens. Uh, look, um, in terms <laughs> of the breadth of this rally, and it's something everyone's been bemoaning. We've been bemoaning. Mm-hmm. It's the seven stocks, the eight stocks, the ten stocks, and the rest has been left behind. Even the FT okay. today has got a, a new piece about U.S. equities. Investors shunning U.S. consumer stocks over recession fears. Any chance that this rally that we've seen is going to get a bit more breadth or they're just going to focus on those key names?
2: Well no, I think you've already seen the breath improve and I think it'll continue to improve and one of the metrics that that our firm follows um very closely is a is a valuation gap kind of between the cheapest 10% of the market and the most expensive 10% of the market and that valuation gap uh is still at extraordinarily high levels uh which to us indicates there's a lot of um uh, demand for certainty out there and if you want certainty you own Microsoft you own Apple you own these types of names but I think as the narrative that the, you know, the economy is not going into some, you know, spiral, uh, kind of continues to get, get played out in the market. I think the breadth will widen and I think that gap will shrink. And today, by the way, if you look at how the Russell 2000 performed relative to the s and I, I think that, you know, speaks volumes. And then your colleague mentioned just how well the Dow has done, uh, in this recent run. So I think you're seeing that breadth start to improve and I think we'll. it uh, if we're right, it'll continue to improve. so I would not want to be getting along the, the the seven leaders. I'd want to look for more uh, economically sensitive names.
1: All right Jeff I'll, I'll go against you on this one just gently here that the 490 isn't cheap and this is my point it's cheaper I agree with you it's not trading at 20 times plus or 30 times the average of the key tech names. It's trading around 15 times as the last time I looked which okay, it's cheaper but it's not cheap historically. It's certainly not cheap if you think we're going in some form of mild recession.
2: Well, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to get myself trouble here on TV, but I really think that market multiples are kind of a meaningless thing. Uh, I think that the shift to passive investing has had such a distortive effect, uh, a mean expansion effect, if you will, on multiples that, you know, looking at absolute multiples, uh, I, I think, can can lead you astray. I, I, I think that, one, a lot of companies, the multiples not reflecting, um, you know, the, they do a lot of investing through their P&L, which kind of fouls up what a multiple even means. But two, uh, you know, we're still in an environment where, you know, the Fed's balance sheet is, you know, something like seven or eight trillion, whatever it is. That is going to push multiples up. And so, I think if you're looking historically and saying, well, it should trade at 15, and and 12 would be cheap, you know, I think you could just end up sitting in cash for a very long time and and watch the market pass you by. Now, granted, I know that people say might say that I'm, you know, dancing to a tune on the deck of the Titanic, but I think. Maybe a more apt analogy would be and I'm listening to the Beatles and Ed Sullivan Theater and all the bears are like the old guys that are you know saying the music's too loud and these guys need to get a haircut. So, <laughs> I, you know, I think it's what camp you're in. And, and I think a lot of people are just they're looking at this through history and not looking at it as an. A very radically different environment.
1: A couple of points, Jeff. One, get yourself in trouble on TV. I love it. Two, no one else has ever brought up the Titanic and the Beatles in the same description. So I love that too. Good to see you, sir. We have to move on. Likewise, really sir. busy day. Thank you. I really liked talking to you as ever. Jeff Hendrickson, CEO and founder of Thorpe Abbotts Capital. A 25 basis point rate hike is widely expected from the ECB today. With traders eyeing Christine Lagarde's press conference this afternoon to get a hint maybe at what happens next. Eurozone harmonized inflation stuck at 5.5% in June. That is down from May, but core inflation increased in the period to 5.4%, leaving an uncertain path for the central bank, as PMI indicators show the first signs of an economic contraction. I think I've already mentioned it, but I'll do it again. To central European time, Jumana Besseche, straight back from that interview with Andrea Orsell in uh, Unicredit. Uh, don't miss that ECB coverage later today. BNP Paribas has beaten on the top and bottom line in the second quarter and says it's on track to achieve its long-term targets. Profit jumped over 16% on the year to €2.8 billion, whilst revenue rose 3.3%, driven by a pickup in global banking revenues. The CEO Lars Machinel told CNBC, actually told our very own Charlotte, uh, that the bank's corporate and institutional divisions uh, have been particular areas of strength.
4: We've bought back the first tranche of our shares, so the earnings per share is very solid. On top of that, we have received today the authorization of the ECB to launch a second wave. Yeah? And so that is something which will even further improve the earnings per share. And so that's basically what the group is standing for. And then if you look at CIB, which is your question, uh, the CIB has also those very good results and also for the reasons of it being diversified. Diversified, having that intimacy with our clients and a prudent risk management. And so if you look at it, the CIB... We had a very good bottom line that is picking up, also a dynamic top line. And if you look at it, global banking, very solid dynamic, up 15 percent. And global markets continues to gain market share despite uh, uh, a less favorable environment for the moment. All right. Well, let's get to Charlotte, who joins us now. Uh, What what should our
1: viewers know about uh, BNP Paribas?
5: Uh, I thought we were going to focus on Airbus when we're having this conversation. We are going to focus on Airbus. <laughs> in fact,
1: the producer just told me that, but I thought we were going to do Char- uh, Charlotte on Machinelle first. and then- That's the first mistake I mean, of the day, t- anyway, isn't it? <laughs> to no, be no, many. But, but I, mean, I think the two companies are very, very closely correlated. <laughs> I well, can't think was why, but they must be. Oh, French. Uh, Airbus posted high-respected underlying profit in the second quarter. It would have been easier for them to get me to do the read, to be honest. Tell us a little bit about Michelin that was a joke
5: <laughs> oh my god we're doing this late. is too early i have to be Okay. Uh, Airbus go <laughs> um, where well, the results were better than expected at Airbus adjusted a bit up 34% to 1.84 billion euros but of course this result came over the back of these mega orders that we saw at the Paris Air Show. those 500 ordered by Indigo 250 by Air India so it's one of those companies where the demand is there certainly the rebound post-COVID is very much there they have a backlog or, or order of just under 8,000 planes so the demand is there for them it's actually issue is getting the planes out fast enough to meet that demand. And they, they still talk about a complex operating environment, of course still a supply chain issue and hiring being an issue. And uh, Investors wanted to focus very much on the ramp-up production of the A320. Of course, this is the best-seller plane. They produce about 45 of them a month at the moment. Their target to hit 75 by the end of, 20, of 26, so 75 planes a month. They had an intermediary target of 65 a month by the end of 24, but they have removed that intermediary target uh, in the communiqué yesterday. So I had a chance to catch up with Guillaume Fauré, the CEO of Airbus, and I asked him why they removed that intermediary target for production of the A320.
3: We continue indeed to be in an environment that is complex for us and for the suppliers themselves, uh, with uh, continued inflation, uh, interest rates that weigh on the ones who have uh, more weak balance sheets. Uh, We also see the difficulties to recruit, to hire people, uh, to retain people, and not mentioning the uh, challenges on the um, supply of raw materials. So that's, that's the background. Now, this being said, we continue to be paced by Uh, some few critical suppliers. The good news is they stick to what we call their recovery plans. They deliver on their plans, but that's still the pacing element of the production. So that's why we've been able to confirm the guidance. That's from that perspective, a better situation than last year, but we don't see yet an environment that I would consider getting significantly better. That's still a complex environment.
5: Well, kind of sticking to the issue of, of your suppliers, of course, there's some of those engine issues uh, from Pratt and Whitney. You mentioned already at Le Bourget that the, the deliveries were strained of those engines that make about half of your AC20 uh, engines. And of course, there were the issues announced earlier this week by RTX that they're recalling or they have to do some inspection of some of these engines. So can you tell us are These issues impacting uh, your production and your deliveries, and how you talk to RTX and some of your uh, clients as well.
3: Well, the situation is uh, challenging uh, with uh, the GTF engine for the A320 family. Um, there are two uh, main uh, topics that um, uh, we have to deal with the one that was already existing before and that has been uh, managed now for a couple of quarters. Is the durability um, of the gtf that is insufficient and that leads to aircraft on ground in the fleet uh, because of uh, difficulties to get spare engines or spare parts on time Uh, and that's where we've been working with uh, pratt and whitney to find the best balance between engines coming to airbus for new planes and parts and engines going to the to the to the fleet to support the airlines um um and the fleet of the airlines.
5: I was Guillaume Fauri, the CEO of Airbus, speaking of those supply chain issues and those engine issues that they're facing with the A320. But they are maintaining their targets for the year of 720 planes to be delivered this year. they already delivered 316, so it'll be a big backloader this year, but it's often the case. And they adjusted a bit of €6 billion and maintain all these targets.
1: Super but Any more random stocks you want me to just surprise <laughs> just you on? throw them away. Uh, Leslie, any thoughts? Yeah, there go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lovely. Thank you very much. I'll see you later on. You've been working very, very hard, I know that. So thank you so much indeed. I know it's not easy covering all this. Doing the interviews at night, and then coming in early so thank you. Um, Nestle is the one I want to talk about because we had Unilever uh, as the canapé the hors d'oeuvre of yesterday as well now we've got the main event good numbers from Unilever they set the uh, stall out for their big arrival and Nestle well they look like they've done very, very well. Look at this. First half, organic growth. Bear in mind, over at Unilever, we had a 7.9% figure, 8.7% over at Nestle. The company consensus was 8.1%. Volumes declined by 0.8%, but on pricing, it looks like it's pretty strong. Up 9.5% as opposed to expectations previously of 8.7%. They're not getting too carried away, though. They're now saying uh, growth, organic growth, still at the top end, will be 8% this year. But they've upped the bottom end of that range from 6 to 8% up to 7 to 8%. The EBIT margin outlook is unchanged. And, of course, margins are absolutely pivotal uh, for this sector at the moment, given the fact that uh, there is a lot of pressure uh, from the raw material costs and how much they can pass on. I will just say the shares sit in the middle of the pack, trading at 20 times forward. Okie dokie. Uh, still to come on this show, buckle up. It's going to be a busy three hours. We've just brought you BNP Paribas, uh, Airbus as well, and the Nestle numbers. But we're far from done. Earnings season is in full swing. We're going to be hearing from Shell, Roche, Barclays, Mercedes-Benz, Volkswagen, and many, many more. Stay tuned. Uh, Michelin has raised its fully year core profit and free cash flow forecasts amid higher prices. Net profit jumped 45% in the first half to 1.2 billion euros. The tire maker now sees a 2023 segment operating profit of 3.4 billion euros up from 3.2 billion. Delighted to say that we have Yves Chapeau, who is the CFO of Michelin, on the line now. Eve's really good to see you today. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Well, look, full year core profit up, free cash flow forecast going up as well. Just tell us what are the key drivers of this improved outlook?
6: Okay, good morning. Thank you for having me this morning. Um, well, first, the group has been uh, uh, very resilient uh, with uh, the full effect during the first uh, half of uh, the price adjustment that we did last year. Uh, we on, on top of that, we, we carry on another price increase early January, and we have uh, uh, the lag effect of uh, uh, the uh, raw material close adjustments that we have for the part of the business which is uh, uh, based on the long-term contract. Um, on top of that, uh, we have been managing uh, pretty well our cost and uh, uh, our GNA and we have a, a positive contribution from uh, our non tire activities uh, solution composite polymers uh, for for the semesters. Looking forward, uh, we believe that uh, the situation will ease down on the on the cost side, uh, particularly on the raw material. Uh, in fact, in, if we look in June, the effect of uh, raw material was neutral. Um, and we should benefit from this uh, from this trend till the end of the year. despite uh, navigating in a, let's say in a lower volume environment, uh, mostly due to the fact that uh, dealers and fleets have, uh, tend to, uh, let's say, better manage their working capital in an interest rates, uh, uh wise environment, and uh, they are all de-stocking in order to uh, improve their, their cash positions.
1: If I had to say there was a fly in the ointment, it is the economic uncertainty, and the fact that your tyre volume fell 3.7%, are you concerned about that and what it means in some of your biggest markets?
6: No, we are not concerned because if we look, for example, uh, mileage driven in the US or fuel consumption in Europe, which is the best proxy we have in Europe for uh, to look at uh, how uh, consumers are using their cars, we have not detected any uh, drop in, uh, in, in, let's say, mileage driven. Second, um, looking at the at the truck market, so of course we have some. Uh, it has been always the cyclical market for uh, some some aspect, but uh, uh, for example in the U.S. Uh, the ton-kilometers transported have decreased only by 0.8 percent. Um, so we are not concerned about, let's say, the the the, 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 the global activity. Is- what we what What was going to happen, that happened during the first semester, is that dealers and fleets have largely started to destock. They had increased their inventory in 2021, 2022, because of the difficulties of supply, because of uh, uh, price increase. And uh, now it's simply a more uh, what we call a sell-in-sell-out market effect.
1: Yves, we have seen some recovery in your share price. There's no doubt about it. You're trading around about €29 Euros now, give or take the change, up from 22 as a 52-week low. But the couple-year of year performance is a little bit underwhelming for some shareholders. Are you going to use your free cash flow to improve shareholder returns, or is there a better use of that money?
6: So, We believe that uh, we will continue to improve uh, the shareholder return. Uh, mostly for increasing uh, our payout ratio and our dividends. We are using some share buyback, uh, let's say, every over year to neutralize the effect of uh, the dilution due to uh, employee uh, shareholdership programs. Um, uh, And we believe that we can, uh, uh, let's say, uh, use this catch also to, let's say, move the company towards more uh, growth-driven hand markets, uh, search our composer poly- composite polymer solutions, uh, and the acquisition of Flex Composite Group, which will be completed during the second half of the year, is an example of uh, uh, wise investments in fast-growing and very profitable uh, end markets.
1: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to CNBC.com.
5: Or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.